0: Podcast is part of
1: the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast, the podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game. With me, Russell Guyver, and I'm going to be having some of my pod squad in for part two of this episode, where we'll be talking about the Stoke match. Yes, we're back on Zoom for the first time what seems like quite a while. But the first part of this podcast, also on Zoom, is to welcome back to the podcast for, I think, the third, fourth time, something like that, Mr. Phil Annette of FA Cup Fact File fame. Uh, that's that's quite a tongue twister, actually. <laughs> i not say that last bit again. Uh, welcome back, Phil. How are you doing? Oh, thanks for having me back, Ross. Yes, I'm doing well, thank you.
2: Uh, good to talk to you again about the FA Cup. Uh, I know it's where you start to get involved in the competition uh, with Brian coming in at the third round. Um, uh, for me and, and the competition itself, has obviously been going on for quite some time already this season, starting way back at the beginning of August.
1: Yes, exactly. Yes. I mean, we've only just got into it this weekend, uh, just gone, but of course it's been going since, since August, hasn't it? Absolutely uh, ridiculously long competition. Um, did you say it was 700 matches that have been played so far
2: around that match? A match. Yeah, it's hard to know exactly with all the replays and stuff, but yes. Um, with 732 teams entered, uh, in the competition. Um, many of which have now obviously departed. I think by the yeah. end of this third round, we'll have lost 700 of them in total. So,
1: well,
2: wow. imagine how many games we've had to take place to uh, enable that to happen.
1: Yeah, well, that that is madness. And we'll get on to talking about some of your hi- highlights, um, key points, or interesting bits of trivia or anything you want to throw away in a moment. But, um, before we do, I've got to get on to my first burning question. Where are we at at the moment in the Kettering versus Spurs high school scoring <laughs> stakes? Kettering are out of the competition, of course, but uh, where are they, are they got back ahead going into Spurs' um, participation section of the uh, tournament?
2: Funny enough, both uh, both clubs seem reluctant to be scoring too many goals this year to uh, to keep their challenge going. Um, Kettering played four games in total, winning three of them, one nil, which. Uh, each of those goals enabled them to go two goals ahead of uh, Tottenham at the top of the table in terms yep. of the overall scoring charts. Uh, and Tottenham themselves have played one game, which they won 1-0. So right now, as it stands, Kettering Town are the current top scorers in the FA Cup history. Uh, obviously, is yeah. have chance against Man City, but if you wanted to try and break a record, uh, going up against the cup holders and the winners of every trophy going last season, it's going to be quite difficult to uh, get that uh, top scoring record back again.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, that um, might just hold on to it going into next year. That'll be a, a, an advantage gained, despite their like, scoring, Kettering. Good luck to them. I want them to be ahead of Spurs, I've got to say. <laughs> it's the old underdog uh, sensibilities in me. I can't help it. <laughs> yeah, I think there are
2: many people are in your shoes as well. they will uh looking to... To see that the lower level clubs do well in your FA Cup or whatever measure that you're looking at.
1: Yeah. And in terms of this year's competition, obviously it's been going on for a long while. What what have been the key things that have stood out for you so far? I mean, for me, my hometown team, Worthing got into the first round for the first time since I think something like 30 years. I can't remember the stat right, now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then lost, unfortunately, 1-0 to a equivalent standard team from the um, from the National North, Alfredton 1-0, which is a shame, in pretty treacherous conditions. I think it was pretty plainly <laughs> and sodden. Um, not a, a miserable day for Worthing and an unusually low-scoring game, actually, for them. They keep scoring mm. and exceeding loads. Um, but, yes, yeah, so I was pleased for them on a personal level. But what, what about for yourself? Because you've been going around seeing loads of games and um, obviously overseeing the entire thing. And uh, there must have been some good stories in there. <laughs>
2: Well, there's always good stories, and it's very hard to remember them all. Um, Yeovil Town have uh, extended their record of the amount of times that they've made the popular rounds as a, as a non-league club. Um, I think it's in the early 50s now, 52. I can't remember exactly the number. Um, but it's pretty impressive stuff um, in terms of uh, qualifying for the popular rounds of the competition. Uh, we've also had um, Chesterfield. They, uh, they got to the third round for the third successive season. And that's only the fifth time that's ever happened. Um, although it did happen last year with Bournemouth. So, you know, maybe there's a sign that non-league clubs are, uh, getting better at this, uh, in the competition. And quite interesting, actually, uh, with Maidstone United making the fourth round this year, uh, fantastic achievement for them. They've already played six ties to, uh, to get to the fourth round. And that's as many as the winners will probably have to play, so you know they've already will play more games than the winners will in the end uh, but that means that we have non league representation in the fourth round for the fourth successive season, which yeah. uh hasn't happened since uh Blythe Spartans managed a fantastic run boy back in nineteen seventy eight so uh it's quite a quite a good year for the non league clubs in this season's competition.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. I, I, I mean, it got um, top billing on the highlights in the Maidstone game when they they won 1-0, which was great, against Stevenage, a decent side. And yeah. Steve Evans is no fool either, you know, the manager of them. So uh, that was a good result for them. Um, I'm pleased they got through because that's one of the grounds I've not been to. So I was hoping to get uh-huh. all them in the next round with the Albion, having got through as well. Mm. Um Another one being Eastley, but they've, they're not, well, oh, they're in the draw, but they haven't uh, yeah. settled matters yet. They've got a really good draw though, didn't they?
2: They <laughs> yeah, have. I mean, what an incentive for that match. Newport versus Eastley, uh, the winners host Manchester United. So there's a massive, uh, bound to be on TV, uh, massive payday, great opportunity to pit yourself against, uh, some of the better players in the country. Uh, and uh, you never know, Poor off a shock of the century. Who, who knows? But it's, it's what the FA Cup's all about for me is when you get those big m- mismatches uh, between the top flight and lower level clubs and we haven't had, that, we haven't had any yet this season um, the way the draw has gone so far the non-league clubs have avoided top fight clubs um, so that if it is easily that would be the first time this season that we see that kind of disbanding.
1: yeah absolutely um, speaking of non-league teams uh, we've had one well we've had quite a few incredible scorelines not least the one you already know what I'm going to say next the mm-hmm. Swindon shot game from round one yes. Swindon Swindon Town 4, Aldershot Town 7, yes. which itself is an insane scoreline for any football <laughs> match, um, not least for the fact that the non-league team was the away side. And, um, they, um I mean, that's the first time, isn't it? I think the stat is the first time a non-league team has ever scored seven against an, a league team. Is that
2: at home or away? or just away? just away from home. So it's the first time that it's happened. Way back in 1905-06, Crystal Palace met Chelsea, uh, when both were in the FA Cup for the first time, there's a lot of history between the two. Chelsea had been, become a football league side whilst Crystal Palace sat to settle for the Southern League. Um, and uh, they met in the cup and back in the day, in the qualifying rounds, uh, the cup matches clashed with league games for Chelsea, um, because it wasn't mm-hmm. set up for league and cup games. So Chelsea played reserves and Palace won 7 being the, the current highest score of an non league side over a league club. So when all the shot went seven nil up at Swindon, I was getting ready to type on the keyboard about how fantastic this is, what history it is, and what a brilliant uh, result. And obviously, it ended up seven four, which in itself was a fantastic result. And as you said, um, they did set a new competition record by being the first non-league club to score seven away from home at a football league side in the FA Cup.
1: Yeah, it was, it was incredible. I mean, the, yeah, the comeback itself—if it wasn't for the the nature of it, it would have been, you would have thought, oh, that, that's an incredible comeback coming on on there, but it uh, didn't happen in the end. But yeah, what what a scoreline. And looking at the results from that round, there were loads of high-scoring games, actually. There's a it was a 5-1, a 4-0, a 7-2 Bristol Rovers uh, winning against non-league opposition. Um, There's a 5-1 for Eastleigh, actually, against uh, Boreham Wood, which is a pretty decent result. And um, I think Harry won 5-1 at Marine. He had um, plenty of three twos and two twos and all that sort of thing. Is it? Bit, I mean, where where does it sit in terms of the numbers of goals scored for this stage of competition? Are we are we getting close to a record? It feels like we might be, but you'll know better than me. I don't know if you've got those stats to hand, there, Phil.
2: I, I don't have them to hand, but from past research suggests that this isn't the golden period for goals being scored. Oh, okay. In competition um, back in the twenties, thirties, and maybe maybe even in the fifties when the offside rule changed. I think there was a. A massive increase in goals scored. Um, yeah. I haven't done the stats, but I get a sense that we have had periods in the past when there's been more goals scored per game. Um, mm-hmm. I think in the third round so far, there's 99 goals been scored in the, uh, 32 games. Yeah. Uh, which is about three goals per game. Um, yeah. It's not that average, but I think we've, we've seen better than that in the past. Yeah.
1: Um, lots of good goals as well, big scored, especially in the last round. In fact, your your boys, Leeds United, a, a, well, I, I knew there was going to be a, some goals in that, but I thought that was going to be something crazy like a 4 all or a 4-3 win for your lot. But you actually ran out 3-0 winners. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that was the game, if I'm not mistaken, where Bamford cracked in an absolute worldie. Brilliant goal. I know, uh, I
2: think the, uh, the, is it the Puskas Award for goal of the year? I don't know. What, I yeah, think, yeah. It's, up the, it's a fantastic, uh, intuitive strike, you've got to say, um, you know, on another day, you could have tried it and it would have gone anywhere, but on when, when you watch it, it's just perfection. And, yeah. Uh, it's superbly done. And for Leeds, it's uh, amazing. They don't, they don't have a great FA Cup record, uh, in recent times. Um, uh, quite challenging for, for me supporting them as a big fan of the FA Cup to see my team not perform too well. Oh. Uh, but we did, the, the club set a, a record in the competition in the third round. Oh uh, yeah.
1: This is for wagers. <laughs>
2: yeah. That's right. So they were drawn away from home for the, 13th successive time which is just <laughs> the odds on that is, is phenomenal to uh and two to the power 13 whatever that number is uh, yeah. and uh it, it it's amazing we've now finally got a home draw in the fourth round so i, I did a massive cheer when that was pulled out of the hat uh, <laughs> yesterday as yeah. much as if we won the
1: competition itself <laughs> I mean these, these go in massive numbers. It, a conspiracy theorist might even think, "Hang on, what's going on here? Are they right. picking a big team to be the away team to get a, a bumper crowd for a home side?" You could yeah. you could write all sorts of conspiracy theories into, didn't <laughs> the, you? And but they, yeah, I was going to mention that stat actually if you've, you've, you've clocked it. And um, Aston Villa as well, I think had uh, they'd had a bad record in the cup in terms of elimination, hadn't they? In third round stage until this season's narrow win yeah. against
2: yeah, if, they hadn't, if they'd have been, if they'd have lost um, on against Middlesbrough, it would have been, I think, their ninth successive defeat on the trot in the competition, which I think would have been a competition record for a team from the top flight to lose that many uh, games successively in the competition. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that uh, things have turned around for them. They've won uh, into the fourth round for the first time in eight years. So yeah. I'm sure. You know, there's a little bit of relief. I know a lot of people don't care for some of these side stats, but there's others who who hangs over them and they just want to get it off their backs yeah. and uh, forget about it, and they Absolutely. can be there for a while. Well,
1: we we all like the good goals, and obviously, um, I mean, I, we mentioned the one the, the Banford goal, but there's also I think Kov scored a brilliant goal, beautiful, took it, turned and shot from range. I think I was I think I was in the cup match, unless i mix it up with the league game. I'm not sure. Um, but there was also um. Uh, who else? Forrest. Um, I think it was at Gibbs White. Someone had a brilliant drilled shot in the top corner. There's plenty more besides. I'd yeah. be, I'd be doing a disservice. Like, I think the
2: Tottenham winner was pretty impressive, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. Oh, yes. That's right. Yeah. That was, that was a cracker poro, wasn't it? That scored that. Yes. Yeah. So yes. really good goals going in. What's good about it? I know we've listed some from bigger clubs there, but you tend to get some absolutely fantastic goals scored by, can be scored by anyone and in the leagues, up and down the land and in the cup. You, you know some of the best goals I've ever seen have been scored either on a Sunday football field or um or you know in a, in a non-league match or something like that. So they could come from anywhere, and that's the be- one of the beauties of football, isn't it? It is not yeah. it um, Yeah. We we scored some good ones as well, um, particularly um Esther Pinions' second goal in two games. Actually, um he just drilled one in again for us, which set us on the way. Um, in our match, we came through four two in the end. Uh, Phil, what's the um what's the situation with Brighton in terms of our um our stats and how we line up at the moment. We've um, we've got another away draw away at Sheffield United. I'm not sure if we played them before in the competition.
2: Yeah, um, yeah you have. Yeah, you've met twice before. Um You met way back in 1921-22 uh, season when Brighton were in the Third Division South and yeah. uh, Sheffield United were top flight at the time. And I think uh, Brighton won one nil. Uh, mm. So one of the early shocks for for the club. Uh, and you met again in more recent times. Um I think in the nineteen eighties or nineties. Uh sorry. Yeah, nineteen eighty six, eighty seven, I think this time. I think Sheffield United did win that game when you were both in the second tier. Hmm. Um, so you have met before, you've got an even record.
1: Um uh, game that yeah. could definitely go either way, uh, on, on the day itself, I think. Yeah. I'm trying to think actually if that game, that second match you mentioned. Was televised because I remember watching a match when they still had the, the older format of the ground with the, the red pillars all the way along. I don't know if you remember that at Bramble Lane. I saw it. I saw a game on TV. I think it was that match actually where they ran out. I think was it 2 0 win or something like that, 3 0. I think they won it on a replay, so I'm not 100% sure. OK, yeah, Might might be mixing up my games. But, um, yeah, so we, we'll, we'll go in hopeful, of course, because we, we feel we could beat any team on, on our day, yeah. um, with the possible exception of Man City. <laughs> um, so glad to avoid them, that's for sure. <laughs> not, not an exciting draw for any of us, obviously, but um, nonetheless, it's a winnable game. And uh, as I said, we've still got Eastleigh, Maidstone and Wrexham are the only new grounds potentially for me in this competition. Oh, right. OK. So, I'm really hoping we get Wrexham at some point um, <laughs> because um, that's it's hard to go to there as a, as a neutral because you can't get tickets, but yeah. I could if I was in the away end, obviously. Um, I'm in top priority for that. Um, but uh, yeah, that, I mean, that would be quite a tough fixture, but I wouldn't mind going there in the Cup. Um, in terms of Wrexham and other, other teams, is, are there any other standouts in terms of people's achievements this year, particularly those that are still in the competition at the moment? Uh, Well, there's obviously a lot of
2: clubs uh, well, the bigger clubs are always in this fourth round you know, it seems like perpetually they make it Man City, it's 12 years since they failed to do so Man United and Spurs, it's 10 years since they failed to get this far and you've got other clubs like Fulham, Leicester, Liverpool and Southampton, it's five years and then yourselves, Brighton, four successive seasons of making it this far so I don't know how that sits in Brighton's record but it sounds like it's quite a good run for them um, yeah. from, from the past
1: yeah we've we've quite often done disappointingly the competition when we've entered at the third round stage and also when we were in Leagues 1 and 2 and entering at the first round stage yeah. it was a long time I think it was a long period where we didn't get anywhere near the third round or, or anywhere near the fourth round anyway um, yeah,
2: yeah. Um, and, then, and then you've got other clubs who are, who I, we talked about earlier Aston Villa who have made it through for the first time in eight years and Watford they've had their first win since they were in the cup final uh, back in 2019 so they've gone some time without winning a game and then you have Newcastle as well who uh, haven't got the greatest recent record in the FA Cup and it's the first time for four years they've made it this far having beaten their local rivals Sunderland obviously very happy up there in the North East yeah. they came against Fulham in the fourth round they've met four times in the past in the competition and uh, Newcastle won every time and scored 20 goals in total a minimum of four goals every time they've met Fulham in the Cup so uh, <laughs> if history is anything to go by, they should be going into that game quite full of confidence.
1: Yeah. Um, another one that stood out for me was the Bristol teams, both in uh, both earned replays away to higher-ranked opposition from higher divisions. Mm. Uh, Bristol Rovers were at Norwich and Bristol City got really, actually, another good goal there yeah. um, to equalise yeah. West Ham, um, which will draw a, a really big crowd for the replays, I'm sure, in both cases. Um, are they, those are sort of underachieving um Teams from an underachieving city in football terms, aren't they? By and large, the Rovers never seem to be quite high as high as I think they should be in the league, <laughs> um, let alone with r- runs in the cup. And Bristol City have obviously, they're, yeah, they're, they're way too big to have not really been then troubling the Premier League in, yeah. in any of its years um, since inauguration in '92. So I don't know if they, if one of them goes on a big cup run, they could be a Bristol Derby, I suppose, feasibly at some point.
2: Yes, they've got, um, tough ties to get through still. Obviously got to beat higher league opposition in the replay. I think both teams would be a bit disappointed they didn't do the job in the first game because I haven't seen what I saw on the TV that it suggests that both of them uh, had their chances to win. Uh, The City versus West Ham game has been picked by the BBC to show live um, uh, for the replay. So, they'll all get a chance to see how well they do. And funnily enough, the teams that they will play in Forest or Blackpool was the other game that the ITV have chosen to show live. Uh so uh Bristol City do win that game, they've got a home tie which might give them a chance. But Bristol Rover's task looks a bit more tougher to get through to maybe have a derby against City as even they've got to get ahead of Norwich, which I think is doable, but you know, on the day, who knows? And then they've got to travel to Liverpool if they manage to do that. And I think that'll be a bit more of a challenge in total. Yep.
1: Yeah. And your guys have got Plymouth at home. Um yes. first home game for so are you confident with that one? Do you think, Phil? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've learned not to be confident with league, and I do. I remember
2: we had a good run a few years ago, and we were in the Premier League, and we got to the quarterfinals, and we had second uh, second tier Wolves at home, you know. And I thought this is going to be our year. This is definitely our year, and and we blew it. We lost one 0 at home, it was horrendous. And so we just learned the hard way
1: not to have hope in this competition. It's too random, isn't it? Particularly with so many rounds still to play. Yeah, yes. yeah. And you, know, you,
2: you tend to not win the ones you should and win the ones that you don't think you, you ought to. It's a bit, bit bizarre sometimes like that.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, so, it, yeah, I mean, that pretty much sums things up as they are for now. We'll, we'll pro- lo- love to get you back on at some point, maybe a later stage in the uh, in the tournament this year. It's, it's all to play for a lot of teams, big matches, some interesting matchups, and I'm sure that will carry on r- round to round. Um, in terms of TV, the only other thing I was going to mention with TV, as always, it's frustrating, isn't it? I think the, the choices were predictable but irritating. I mean, for example, BBC with Arsenal, manu- uh, Arsenal against Liverpool, uh, which Liverpool won. um those sort of games because the bbc don't cover the premier league live getting an opportunity to to have a live match coverage of those of those games they're not going to pass it up and it's about ratings and that sort of thing isn't it the commercial channels you can understand more because of the advertising but do you find it a bit disappointing when the bbc picked that i know know, you can see why they've done it but there were so many more enticing ties, weren't there, in this uh, this round that's just gone or just going through. Well, there's the main... a couple
2: of things there, really. Firstly,
1: I, I don't think the size of
2: the TV audience will be that different, regardless mm. of what game they pick. It's it's a live game on terrestrial TV, which doesn't happen too often, and we know that, that there's an interest in watching live football on the TV. And mm. so, yes, they picked Liverpool v Arsenal because they know that that has a more worldwide appeal. But in the in the uh, UK, it doesn't matter if they'd have shown that game or if they'd have shown the Maidstone game. I think the, the the TV audience would have been, you know, around about half a million difference. That's all. So, you know, not too much. ITV, yes, they will always go for the big, big clubs. And I, I made a statement a few weeks ago when the TV choices were made that saying that the TV channels aren't showcasing the FA Cup. So they're not using their channels to showcase the FA Cup. They're using the FA Cup to showcase their channels which is why they choose all Premier League games rather than choosing the games that epitomise what the FA Cup's about in terms of non-league. So gotcha. it's quite interesting when Maidstone won, they were all over the story. You know, isn't this fantastic? It's the epitome of the FA Cup. It's what the competition's all about. Maidstone have won.
1: Yeah, well, why didn't you show it? Why did you not pick it? And give yourself a chance to be there when the glory happened. Exactly. And, and to give those clubs a rare chance to really make some extra money. I mean, obviously, they, they'll make some round to uh by progression, but yeah, the TV money could have been a, a huge difference to a club yeah. like that. Didn't it? Although they're well-run, actually, Maidstone. Apparently, they, yeah. according to the highlights um on the BBC, they make a profit year on year. So uh, they've been excellently run. But nonetheless, they still deserve the reward. They uh, should be penalised for that. No, and yeah. I
2: think also, you know, you, you, there's more likelihood that you'll, the Arsenal, Liverpool main artists, they'll get through to the later round. So you have a chance to show them them. So give give the third round, give the opportunity for those that have struggled through to get, to get there and give them a moment in the sun. But uh, unfortunately, that's not the way the commercial element of these TV channel choices works.
1: Yeah. Frustrating. Maybe something for the regulators to try and have uh, some sort ah. of a, a pull. That's not going to happen, is it? <laughs> that's not going to happen. I mean, <laughs>
2: I've, I've complained to the BBC. Uh, I think I did it for about five years on the trot when they kept picking all Premier League side games. And they've just got the same stock response. Yeah, we choose what we choose because we want to maximise our ratings or interest in the competition. But it, yeah.
1: it's, it's baloney. None of that justifies Palace v Everton on a Thursday night, does it? Though? <laughs> well, I think I think
2: that was a legacy of the fact that they had to move all these games, spread them across, because all the yeah. London clubs have been drawn at home, and it was uh, the Met Police saying you can't have that many games at home at the same time. So, yeah, whilst it wasn't a great choice, and it, I made I said the comment that it was as exciting on grass as it appeared, it might be on paper. Um, uh, it turned out this nil-nil draw ball draw. It wasn't very exciting at all. I'm just glad they haven't chosen to show it again in the replay. Uh, probably end up being a five all cracker, but you know, that's the way it goes.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Well, Philip, it's been great having you back on. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, you're you're regularly popping up talking about the FA Cup and the FA trophy and FA Vase on the non-league podcast, only you? which uh, you're semi-regular on there. Um yes. Uh, for anyone that doesn't listen to that and therefore doesn't know, I'll ask. I'll ask you to do what the presenters on there do as well, and just uh, throw out there your uh, your Twitter or X and uh, and other um, contacts. Still Twitter, always.
2: I think always will be. Twitter, yeah, let's
1: do <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you can find me on
2: Twitter uh, covering all the competitions, primarily the FA Cup and FA Vars. I, I am in the midst of working out I can do the FA Trophy as well, um, but uh, FA at FA Cup fact file. And at FA vast File is the place where I produce all the stats, and there's links there to all my um, previews and reviews of every single round that goes on during the season.
1: Fantastic! Cheers, Phil. Thanks for joining us. Until the next time, thanks. Cheers. Oh, cheers, and good luck to Brian in the next round. Oh, cheers. thanks very much. And dare I say it to Leeds? I'll be unpopular. <laughs> you can it's cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> cheers. cheers. Cheers, mate. Bye. So thanks there to Phil for joining us in part one, talking about the FA Cup. And we're going to talk about it a bit more now because it's time for me to welcome my pod squad members. And it's um, it's the two Andes or two of the Andes. It's Andy Bass and Andy Knott. Hello, Andies How are you both? Yeah,
3: good. Thank you very much. Me me too.
0: Happy
1: New Year. Yes.
3: <laughs> it's the first time I've seen you guys since, uh, since, the, yeah. uh, since the New Year began.
1: Exactly yeah, and it 's been a while since we 've done one of these um the zoom reviews um and uh, it's yeah it 's been it 's been good recently, I think a creditable draw away at West Ham, and then of course, out of the weekend, the four two win against stoke and uh, we 'll talk on a few other matters as well later on but let's let 's get on to the game first of all now, Andy Bash, you were at the match, so was I Andy k you weren 't but i'm sure you've seen the the highlights and so on as well, so in terms of the match four uh, two um chatting off air with you, Andy B beforehand, we were saying. I think I felt the same as you in that you said you always felt comfortable with this result overall. It felt it didn't feel as if we were gonna screw it up. And even though it was a bit topsy turvy, we conceded a goal, came from behind, then conceded an equaliser, but eventually got the better of them to get those last two goals. Um it was a it was a good game, quite entertaining, wasn't
3: it? Yeah, it was. It was um it was very bizarre. It was actually the first non non league game featured on match of the day. So we actually topped the billing. For the you know above the contractually obligated, uh, let's show the the ultra minnows um, thing. And yeah, it was it was a it was an entertaining game. It's pretty pretty end to end. Certainly certainly in the first half, I didn't think we played that well in the first half, but um, it it yeah, it was thoroughly entertaining. And I never even when we went behind, it, I never thought we weren't going to win. I just thought we're going to we're going we're gonna to win this, and it was really um, a different feeling to our other visits to uh, the Betts Three Six Five. Particularly, obviously, thinking back to the uh, I think what was it twenty eleven, twenty twelve game where yeah. where we where, yeah, where we were very much like the League League One underdogs to the Premiership, yes. So, and how the tables have turned. I mean, it was. Uh, it was just interesting, and I and it was it was reassuring. We I just think we took care of business in the end, um, gave away the sloppy opener, but oh, other than that, I thought we were I thought we were really good.
1: Yeah, um, Owned goal scored by Van Hecker. We've got a new nickname for him. We'll be discussing that later on, coming up a little bit later. Um. Andy Kay smiling, it's his. Uh, he's brought that to the table. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, the goal, by the way, Estepinian scoring again. I mean, the bonus to him coming on for the whole of the second half in the last match. Um, oh, sorry, the game, sorry, against um, uh, Spurs, wasn't it? Yeah. And um, scoring a worldie. And then he scored a pretty good goal here, didn't he? Um, which was a, was a key one in the match. Uh, Van Hecker had conceded the end goal in the 16th minute. Um, this was the equaliser. Um, six minutes into first half stoppage time. And... Cracking strike, wasn't it? And I think, wow, not only is he back doing what he does, he's doing that as well now. That's not too bad, is it, Andy Kay? Pretty pleased with that.
0: Yeah. Um, one one thing that you haven't mentioned that I think you were alluding to is a uh, goal just before half-time, always a fine time to score a goal. And yeah. we got one, what was it, eight minutes into the second half, I think it was.
1: Yeah, seven, seven or eight minutes in. Donkey, of yeah. course. Yeah.
0: yeah an another assist for Gross, and then he had another assist yeah and then a pre assist as well so yeah. um,
1: and he's um, on the on the um highlights they were picking up on his uh his well his pedigree in that regard weren't they on
0: um, what match of the day yeah yeah, but, yeah I, I mean i actually watched it on um with some irish commentary um <laughs> live or a minute or two behind um things so, I've got a pretty good picture of the game, um, and I'd agree with that broad assessment from, from Andy, despite the fact that we went behind in the first half and spent, what was it, 25, 30 minutes, um, being one goal down, um, despite the fact that they equalised pretty soon after our, our goal. Um, I wasn't too concerned about not winning. Um, but obviously I, I was saying, even when it went to all and you would have been saying, I would imagine that I'd rather lose this than draw it because I really think that these 16 days, I think the squad has gone out to Dubai I made mean, to get some, some warm, warm weather, get out of this freezing temperature over here. Mm. Um, and we really, really do need that for the second half of the season. Um, uh, I've got a quick question to ask you two actually, because you were mentioning about 2011, 2012 in Stoke. Um, I gather that there really weren't too many people in the stadium or Stoke fans in the stadium. Um, and it's a kind of salutary les- lesson about what happens to clubs when they get relegated from the premier league and don't look as though they're in a position to be promoted again. Yeah, um, I thought sorry. Yeah, I, so yeah. it's kind of like, what was there a bad vibe amongst the home home fans or whatever. And, not,
3: not no, I don't think there was a bad vibe from the home fans that turned up. They, you know, I mean they they were quiet but when when they scored and were were in the league, they got behind their team, and um, I don't think you can have a go at the, the Stoke fans that turned up. They, it's the ones that the ones that didn't. It's a disappointment for them, uh, and it's a bit sad, really. Um, it's like it's a good. I mean, that the you know the first time we went there, the ground was full, um, mm. and, and yeah, you know, it was a really good atmosphere. And when the yeah, when they were like duking it out in the Premier League, it, you know, it was the archetypal difficult place to go for any away team. And, and I, you know, I, I think that lack of atmosphere helped us. Um, also the fact that we had, you know, a rather ridiculous number of fans that actually did go to that. I think they're all trying to get their 15 points for the away leg over uh, the next round of the Europa League. But, but that notwithstanding, um, you know, people, you know, at, we were backed where I thought our support was excellent. Um, you know, their their bands were good for a bit but they you know, but they were quiet in other things. But it is surreal and it just feels wrong playing playing a game in you know, in, where they've closed basically closed one entire side of the ground. Um I mean obviously, you know, it's you know, it's more you know, it is more expense and so you know, it's it's cold, it's expensive, still, you know, up there so I'm not really going to cast aspersions on anyone who decided they had better things to do with their money or time. On yeah. I mean. But it, but, but it, the, it was, but it was for
0: quid and 15
3: quid, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah I think I, I've actually watched some, um, a stoke vlog, um, of, of the game. It's quite interesting to see it from their perspective.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And, um, you know, they, yeah they, they seem to be very supportive, um, and um I don't know, I think their fans are quite hopeful for the future with their new manager. But but yeah, it was just weird. I, but I just thought that we really we really turned up for work in this one. Frustrating first half, um, in terms of sort of like final ball quality was, was not very good. But the intent was there. I don't think we were ever taking it easy. I do suspect that Roberto might have had a few Words of encouragement, shall we say, at uh, half time to maybe spur on the effort somewhat. And it clearly had an effect because, yeah, you know, we, we, we came out, we came out all guns blazing second half. Mm. And even, and even like their penalty just didn't, didn't keep us down. And we made, and I like the way that the, the players celebrated the goals. I like, they really cared. They wanted to do it. I think they think we can win it. Uh, mm. I think so, and I think I think our fans think we've got a chance, especially the way the draws panning out. And you know, if worst comes to the worst, even if we got one of the so-called big guns, like you know City or Liverpool or something, I mean, they, they these are teams that no longer we no longer cow before hmm. before we play them. Yeah, but of of all teams, I would
0: rather avoid City and Liverpool. Hope, yeah, hope I would, they, I would too. But yeah, so, hope, yeah hope I hope they get feel. knocked out. And if I hope, they do, if they knock each other out, and maybe Tottenham knocks. Um, Tottenham are drawn against City, aren't they?
1: Yeah, yeah. Chelsea got Villa. Not that we can really call Chelsea a big club anymore. <laughs> but no, I mean that's it'll be good to get rid of those teams. And yeah, I mean that obviously City and Liverpool can't knock each other out. One can knock the other out, but if one of them's out, and then maybe Arsenal beats. Liverpool, someone could take Arsenal. Arsenal out. Oh, they're Arsenal out. Of course they are. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, this is the thing. We've had that big match already. We've got two more big matches. I think we can do Sheffield United. I'm not expecting it. Take it for granted, but it's it's an okay draw. It could be a lot worse. But um, go, going back to what you're saying, Andy, and answer to Andy Kay's question. Yeah, I'd, I'd go along with what Andy said about the, the fans. I don't think there was any toxicity of any sort um, there. I think everyone seems quite happy, but there just weren't that many people there. It's interesting the way they've arranged the crowd uh, to be in uh, as, as optimum a possible position for the TV cameras. Uh, it's very patently obvious when you're at the game and you can see they've they've sold from the, the, the far left-hand corner as you look from the camera uh, along towards the goal and just beyond it, and then there was no one else. Um, stand to our left, where the TV camera is placed, had absolutely no one in there apart from a one small section, squared section of um, fans family and friends and all that stuff. Yeah. And then what I think they intended to do was to sell the other big stand opposite the cameras all the way around. to at least the corner, which they were unable to achieve. Um, But I think it is a salutary lesson about where you can be from now versus elsewhere. A lot of Albion fans would say, well, we could do with a, a bigger ground not this realistic that we'll get one, but 35 or 40, you know, would be better because you can, you can sell more. And say, for example, you get someone like Newcastle, you can give them their five or 6,000 and we can still sell out the rest and that kind of thing. And all the time we're doing well, yes, we could. But I think, as you've said there, Andy Kay, if and when, if or when, and when, whichever it is, that we end up back in the championship or worse, it is quite sad when you see someone like Stoke and it's so... It's such a big stadium for the amount of people that were there. There certainly were not 17,000, as apparently has been claimed. No um, way. I think that we're talking 13 tops of that game. We had 4,000 sellout, didn't we, all yeah. 3 or whatever it was. Um And they, they didn't have more than twice that. So I'd say 13,000 maximum for that game. Um But, you know, it's... It's the state of play. You know, they're 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 in that position at the moment. They'll probably come good at some point later on. There will be occasions where they'll fill that ground, even if they don't, you know, for a big cut match. If they've got to a quarter final as a championship team, they'd get loads in. But it is a bit, yeah, it feels a bit um, soulless and a little bit sad seeing that many empty seats at a ground. It's not ideal. But it, from our side of it, the away fans, getting 4,000 fans to that game shows you what the, uh, what the interests are from away supporters. Um, yeah, I mean, it's incredible.
0: Um, I mean, it might be partly down to the cost of the ticket and, as Andy has yeah. said, about the um, 15 points for the Europa
1: There's two things make the difference.
0: The, the distance, yeah. which is what put me off going. It's a long way. Um, you know, to get 4,000 there, that's that's really something for an FA Cup third round. Time, um, yeah, it's great.
3: Just, there's something. There is I'm, something about the cup, though. It's like, yeah, you kind of, you know, whilst you're still in it, the magic is still there. Yeah, and there is that possibility. I, I do think, um, you know, we're, we you know we're fighting on loads of fronts. It was disappointing to get knocked out of the League Cup, but you know, sort like Europa League. Amazingly, we are seventh. Is it? In the in the league yeah, despite the fact we've only got two players and um hmm. and now like the f a cup i th- i think it's unfinished business for us and i think and I just think that's the mentality that, that particularly Deserby has brought to to this football club and I think he's kind of like dragging bloom and barbara along a little bit. <laughs> but, but, I mean, they are full of enthusiasm for it as well. They see the opportunities, but I think they've now finally got a manager that matches their vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and De he, he wants to win something. He doesn't care what it is.
1: Yeah. And he's pumped, doesn't he? But he's uh, he, but he,
3: wants, he wants something to put on his mantelpiece at the end of the season. Absolutely.
1: And, he was um, he wanted it. He Why wanted him? it to win,
3: big time. Yeah, and do you know what... I mean, we yeah, that was a frustrating defeat in the semi-final last last season because yeah, I think we're better than Manchester United at the moment. Um, we, we we're certainly better than them on the day, I think
0: as yeah. well. I mean, that wasn't a great deal on it, but um, I think we we're better. I'm I'm going to move the conversation on to some of the players in the game and mm-hmm. the goals, if that's all right with you. Yeah, well, I'll just read
1: out I'll, I'll read out the team then. So Verbruggen was in goal. We thought it was going to be quite a a, a youth laden team, didn't we, due to various circumstances with our squad. Um but it was Verbruggen in goal. It's Van Hecker, Duncan and Stupinan at the back, with Hinchelwood and Modder going wider of Grosh and Gilmore, Buenoste, Ferguson and Joao further forward. So that was the starting eleven. Um and Baleeba uh Hinchy, not Hinchelwood but Hinchy, uh Webster, Welbeck, Perpion, Who's been recalled from alone, uh, and Lalana with the subs that were used at various points. So yeah, over to you, Andy Kay.
0: Yeah, um well, I've already mentioned Pascal, two assists and a pre assist. Um, if others have listened to me rambling on the match day special, you and I which which one was that at? Was that at
1: West Ham, wasn't it? West Ham was it? Hmm.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, there's no competition. Um, despite the brilliance of certain other players about who our player of the season is, and that's Pascal. He's, he's just been utterly immense and Roberto loves him. You know, he, he virtually has no time off. Um, yet he's still leading the press in the 94th minute, you know, chasing down the goalkeeper. Um, you know, and I'm one of these dreadful people that did wonder about his future. Um, in the kind of early middle of the Potter years, where he wasn't that good. Um, we're both saying I, yes as well. do. Eh? <laughs> yeah, sadly. I didn't think he oh. was that good. And I really didn't like the way that Gross and Moy featured in the same team yeah. who um, were too similar. But, wow, the, the guy is absolutely amazing. Um Gilmore, I also want to mention in terms of, the form that he's been in over the last two or three months and particularly the way in which he's stepped forward with the in- injury crisis that that we've had. Um I mean, he's really come on this season. Obviously, we didn't really see Jao Pedro last season, but there's two goals here. I might go and speak about the two goals, but I also want to speak about um Van Hecker and the way in which he's come on. Um, as well. and he, he was really, really good. But in terms of the goals, um, my view of the three of them, um, and I'm talking about the second half goals here. Um, we actually got the second one. We actually got a goal from the corner. Um, it was a, a short corner and, um, we did get another one as well. How Pedro got one. Uh, who was that against? Um, a flicked header against Chelsea, maybe?
3: Yes, Something it I we yeah. lost. Yes, you know? yes Chelsea. Yeah. Um, and Pretty we might much the same header them. he got um, on
0: Saturday, actually. No, 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 it wasn't. The one against Chelsea was really close by, a kind of flick inside the six-yard box, whereas I thought his header for the third goal was really similar to the one that he got against Forest, actually. Ah, Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh um, spot box, but yeah the the second one short corner um and then Gross worked his magic uh, back post dunk put it in the third one lots of good interplay down the right. Um Gross and Hinchelwood seem to be kind of reinvoking the the gross solely relationship down the right wing, which has been utterly amazing at times. Yeah. Um, and he put in another great cross. Uh, and there was that header from, um, João Pedro, which was, you know, another great header that went into the corner effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, tough on the goalkeeper. And then the fourth goal, um, there was, well, somebody was had a premonition of something that was about to happen that happened was announced yesterday which was the de- death of Franz Beckenbauer, and Van Hecker became Van Heckenbauer <laughs> <before the> fourth <laughs>
1: it, ladies and gentlemen
0: <laughs> uh, in which <laughs> um, he played, I think, a couple of one-twos, the last of which was with Pascal, and just completely broke their defence. I thought the goal was actually really quite similar to Argentina's first goal in the World Cup final, in which Ali Mack was kind of key to yeah. that. I think it was D- mm-hmm. Dean Maria that scored in the end. Yeah. Um, I thought <clears> it was quite quite similar, but it, um, he strode you know, through, through their high line, um, completely exposed it and João Pedro kind of slided it in and um, the celebration looked really, really good there. But perhaps yeah. over to you two on that
1: particular point. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start first with that. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I was at an event yesterday, a Seagulls over London thing, and Raymond was talking about that goal and the way he was leading up to what he was going to say. I knew what he was going to say. He was going to re- reference Mark Lawrenson uh, because that roving centre-back driving on beyond his normal remit area and he was bursting down that right side and it, it was brilliant, wasn't it? It was great to see as you said <laughs> Van Heckenbach uh, Van Heckenbach. that's brilliant. We've definitely got to keep using that one. Um but yeah it was great. And the celebration, yeah, essentially what happened because of the geography of the situation, uh Van Hecker was at the was at the fans before Joao was. And Joao was kind of almost deference in the way he then approached him and kind of joined him with the celebration. And I thought that was great. You know, it really was the reward for his work in the build-up to that and the assist, which is superb. And having scored the own goal, of course, it's a redemption for him within the match as well, which is nice. And I go along with what we said earlier, that Pascal Grosch is player of the season and the only person that's giving him a challenge at the moment is Van Hecker. I think he's uh, Van Heckenbauer, sorry. I've got to get the name right. Uh, because he's he's been absolutely um, superb. Um, and the point I was going to make, actually, as well about... Um, our squad over the course of the season. We'll, we'll get to a, a more generic discussion about the season and what we're thinking going forwards later. But um, this season, it's been interesting because there's been phases to the season where obviously we've signed Ja pedro and he'd made an impact earlier in the season. But it was really about players like Evan Ferguson continuing his advancement uh, mm-hmm. early on. Adingra hitting the ground running after his loan last season after we'd signed him. Those players doing well earlier on. And then later in the season, Paul Hinchwood, sorry, uh, Jack Hinchwood, I'll keep doing that. Jack Hinchwood was um, breaking into the team and making an impact, uh, surprisingly and surprisingly quickly. um, When Anote has found his feet as well now, obviously being played in the correct position has helped um, more often than not. And and then the continued improvement of Joao Pedro and various other players who have seem to improve more and more, Billy Gilmore being the other one, of course, another young player. Um, all of those players we've listed, João included, are still young. And that's been a very big feature of this season, I think. And aside from all the bit parts with players unexpectedly getting sub appearances and all the rest of it, we mentioned a few of them in this match here. Um, that's been a major triumph for us this season. And I think it's had to be because of the injuries we've had and the rotation involved in the number of games and the demands. Um, but I think, broadly speaking, it's worked pretty well, hasn't it? And it's testament to how well Roberto De Zerbi can bring players on, not just the young players, but in particular how well he's done in that regard has been why we've been able to to do as well as we have, which is to be in roughly the same position as we finished last season in the table, taking on board the additional huge challenge of a Europa campaign as well. Uh, and having far more injuries than last year, so it's been absolutely extraordinary. And um, I think it's it's testament to everyone at the club, but most particularly Roberto De Zerbi, how well we've brought those players through. And Jack Inchwood is, is the epitome of that, isn't he? In terms of the youth players,
3: absolutely. Well, absolutely. I mean, this is this is all on De Zerbi, and his the way that he pushes every member of the squad. It's not. Just the first choice eleven that you know that that we've heard of. He pushes everybody in that squad, and um, you know we, we've spoken about it before earlier in the season. Like maybe slight frustration with with some of the rotation, but now you can see it paying off because because these players aren't new players anymore. I mean, there's been some sort of established players that have been out for a while, are now going to find that oh these new guys are now playing really well in their position. How do you get back in the team? You know, it's like, I mean, it, it just now we are tooling up for possibly what could be the most momentous, few, you know, three or four months in this club's history. And, and De made sure has now given us enough artillery to sort of like really have a go at it really give it a good go I mean who knows how it's going to end up we don't know whether it's going to be successful whether it fizzles out but we've given ourselves an opportunity now to genuinely dream of bigger things than um than, than we would have dreamt of before and I think the the that, that dream is being relayed to the players because I think the players feel that yeah, you know what we we can achieve these things these aren't these aren't pipe dreams anymore. These are achievable goals. And now and everybody can play a part. It's not just like, you know, what was notionally like the, the first 11 or the first 15. But now there's like 25, 25 players involved. Um, It doesn't matter whether you're a youth, you know, whether you came from the youth team like, like Hinsherwood or if you're an established veteran like Pascal Gross. The contributions have come have come from everywhere, and people like Buena notte uh, have, have really had to step up. You know, with so was we've, you know, we've lost key players. We lost key players just when they were maturing. Like Enceiso was finally becoming a potential superstar player, and then so we
1: signed, so signed Fatty, and he comes yeah. into yeah. he gets injured.
3: Yeah. And, Fatty, who is definitely yeah. a potential superstar, and he gets injured. Solly March playing the best football of his career suddenly has it his entire year
1: taken Eagle, away as him. well he, yeah.
3: yeah and so all of these all of these things but people have come in dentu was come in byronote has come in um modas coming back now i mean you can see he's not up to speed yet but he's but deserves giving him the chance to get up to speed and he's only, only going to do it with those minutes on the pitch i thought you know he, and and he's and he's on his way to recovery now he's on his way and um and obviously we're in the Jan- january transfer window which we'll probably have a quick chat about later um but there's certainly at least one very exciting addition coming in and we're going to think well we're we playing but we we need all of these players we want to the Premier League is so hard it's much harder to finish sixth this year than it was last year. I think much harder um so if we're if we're aiming for that we need we need more people to step up to the pump and deserve it i i've all i've thought for like the last sort of month and a half, I just thought this team's going to be really good in March and april it's gonna be mm. really good in March and April when people are back when people have had their time. And we've got through like this lean period of like you know quite a lot of draws. We haven't lost many games, mm. so even though we've gone through a dry spell, we've still been accruing additional points. But we are now building up that war chest to really go for it in the in the crucial part of the season. And- I'm so excited! It's incredible.
1: Oh, so am I, and and yeah, you know, I've listed all the things we've done and where we are in the table and how well the season's gone uh, overall, despite the adversity. And we have now, as I think Andy Cove mentioned, reached that um, that uh, position where we can have we can relax a little bit. We've got to a stage now where we've got a a, a very welcome paucity of fixtures over the next few weeks, especially avoiding a replay in that cut match. Um, and um it's it's going to be a lot easier to cope i think now and we need to make our mark in the next couple of months before it gets more intense but i think we've we've reached the stage of the season that we knew was coming but with a satisfying amount of points i mean we could have had more we should have had more actually we should have i think we should have grabbed points in games despite tactics to the contrary we should have still overwhelmed those in certain matches particularly the sheffield united game uh, yeah, those three be one all draws at Roberto. Yeah. Cares yeah. On too. So it oh. could be even better. But one one thing, just going back to what I was saying about the uh, the younger elements in the team as well, um, one stat that's been thrown around a lot as well is about how many goals we've scored from teenagers. Um Jack Hinchwood's goal against Spurs. Uh, great goal, by the way, fantastic, wasn't it, Um, with Joao's build-up play, Um, was our 19th Premier League goal scored by a teenager in 2023, which I think Andy KU actually popped on one of the WhatsApp groups at one point. Um, The next nearest is Man United in second place with four, and apparently the whole of the Premier League has only collectively had 16 goals scored by uh, by, um, uh, teenagers outside of the Albion. So yeah, we've we've got more than the rest of the Premier League put together, which shows how much of a value there is on those players. Yes, obviously Evan Ferguson being a, a key part of that, but even then he's kind of gone a little bit off the radar a bit, and he's 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 gone he, he's not in the best of form. I don't think he's lost his confidence or anything, but he's just not quite um, finding the chances that he would like. He still looks sharp when he tries to take them, like the West Ham game. You know, it's a really classy, quick bit of instinctive play to work the space to try and have a shot, it didn't quite work. But I don't feel as if he's losing confidence. I think he just he's just you just go in and out of form in general, don't you? And I think but but you know his his goals have helped. Um but those stats are incredible.
0: Yeah, yeah they are. I mean in terms of Ferguson if you listen to Roberto's press conferences, he tends to be a lot more revealing than our prime managers and many other managers. And um he has explicitly said that Um, Evan's been carrying a little bit of an injury um, and Mm. because of the injury situation he's been hugely overused Um, so I don't think it's necessarily the the fairest way to judge him Um, but I think you are right in saying that he hasn't really got into the kind of opportunities that he capitalises on because um, his, his goal scoring is, is amazing. Um, and let's hope that with the injuries coming back and, uh, the emergence of a couple of players, I, I think really the ones that have kind of surprised us over the last couple of months are Bonanotte and, um, Hinshelwood. I mean, yeah. Hinshelwood is just so mature for an 18 year old and looks so exciting, really does. Um, and take really seems to have kind of bulked up. Um, he seems to be enjoying playing, uh, centrally far more. He's, he's really filled in extremely well. Um, can go on the odd kind of mazy run. Um, uh, there's that earlier, I think, kind of unhelpful linkage with Messi that was, Kind of made with him. Tevez certainly mentioned that connection, yeah. with Messi, which I thought was a little bit harsh. But I'm I'm going to do something similarly harsh. Player <laughs> that he reminds me of a little bit is Bernardo Silva, um, which is a delightful prospect. Well, as far as I'm concerned.
3: that's not a bad comp. That's not a bad comparison. If he turns out to be half as good as Bernardo Silva, I think we'll all be very happy. Yeah, <laughs> because he's a terrific player.
0: I'm oh, um, yeah. And the thing about Hinchelwood is, I mean, I, I take Andy's point about, um, the rotation, um, uh, and I, I think I, I can't remember the stats actually, but, um, at a certain point, um, Deserby had used kind of twice as many players as the next, or made twice as many changes as the next, um, that has done but you know largely over the last two or three months it's been because of the injury situation it hasn't been through choice um mm. and you know I'll wait to be convinced by the point that Andy made about um the rotation bearing f- fruits in kind of march April etc cetera, etc cetera. um my thoughts well l- let me just say two things about the second half of the season one is um, what I was trying to say about Hinchelwood is when everyone gets back fit, um, how much is he going to play? I suspect a fair bit actually but Hmm. who's going to have to give way for him to play a fair bit and that's a kind of mouthwatering prospect Um, um, you know because of him all of a sudden I'm less concerned about our fullback situation, which I was, you know, really quite concerned with a month or two ago. Um, you know, it, it went on to attacking wide players, uh, and it's still there, but Deserby and his brilliance has found a way around that. Um, yeah. um, and the kind of performances that we've put in really in the last three games, Tottenham especially was, I think, you know, uh, I don't think we've been that good this season for what it's worth compared to the second half of last season. Um, we were very good at the start of the season against the lights of, um, uh, Man United Wolves. Um, but that Tottenham display might have been our best of the season, actually. I thought that was yeah. just a thrilling game of football. I mean, um, I, and she played into our hands completely.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah. I, I I I agree. I agree with you. I I think. I think the thrilling the thrilling nature of the football this season has struggled to live up to that that we had last year, but then the reasons for that are obvious because we have yeah. been decimated with injuries. Um, and to be honest, that was one of the reasons I kind of quite liked the West Ham game a little bit, even though it was for the neutral, it was not exciting it was barely a game of interest for the two two interested parties <laughs> but but actually we particularly in, in in the first half like you know West Ham were like sitting back and this was like the first time I really saw like a return to like the original model of like Deserby ball where we started passing it around the back and then really trying to tease out that central pass that's going to take out one or two players and because because of the, the sort of the chopped up nature of of this season for us um we've kind of like freelanced a, a bit more or it seems to me that we've freelanced a little bit more and haven't been as disciplined in that pure deserveable. ball and and actually against West Ham we played some quite nice derby ball and against like a very well drilled moise you know, back 11, we were able to tease out a number of op- a, a small number of opportunities from which we probably should have done a bit better and won the game. But, but I thought we did well to create those opportunities in the first place because it, there wasn't a lot of space for us to do it. And I thought, you know, that we got back to the intricate passing and stuff. Um, so I think we're no longer. We're not playing one style of football anymore. I think, you know, I think we've got a plan A, but I think we've got a plan B and C and possibly a D as well now. I think we're much more flexible in how we adapt to, like, the in-game situations. Again, this is all down, you know, Deserby's coaching and the way that the players have have responded to it. Um, It really is some excellent work and it's all going, it's all happening before our eyes on the pitch. I mean, there's so much learning on the job here with such a difficult style of play, the demands that have been put on those players and the way they respond is brilliant. There really is just this, if you're a time waster, you are going nowhere in this, in this team because it, it, we just, we you know, there's, they get it, get out. Well, we need people that are going to put a, put a shift in, put the work in and um and i, and I just think that there is that togetherness in the squad
0: yeah i mean to if i can add something to that i i mean um i find that really interesting what you're saying because what i originally thought about Ball was that he was quite rigid in his formation because all the players needed to be so drilled not only in passing sequences but knowing where the other player is and you need that rigid rigidity or formation in order to do that. But he, se- he seems to have kind of worked kind of hybrid formations into yeah. the system where mm-hmm. we kind of shift between a back four in possession uh, um, or is it a back? No, it's a, it's a back four when defending and then um, a back three in, in possession. And it kind of started off when Believer kind of dropped back into the kind of sweeper role, um but he's kind of amended it a little bit, where you're kind of playing Purvis and or well Purvis or Eagle, Duncan and Van Hecker as a kind of three, and then the lights of Hinchwood, gross um Milner or Moda playing as you know really wide players in the absence of. Solly, Fatty, um, in CISO, um, Adingra, Mittima being out, um, which has kind of been dreadful. When the way in which kind of Bonanotte's, um, slipped into that role. So th- there is that kind of variety in there. I suppose a question that I've still got for him is, um, and in terms of the West hand game, actually, against a side that's very good, very well organised at playing that block. And in terms of the West Ham game, I thought the first half was really very dull indeed, actually. And that was down to them. And we weren't terribly good, but we still created that. um, Was that? Yeah, that gross chance. Yeah. Which was really disappointing. That
3: that was was a bad miss, I think. He'd he'd won that one again because the ball from Milner was terrific but he just I don't think he knew where Ariola was so I think just like might have just been like an instinct that I've got to flick it into the corner where actually all he needed to do was just head it straight mm. ahead because Ariola was right next to him and it, yeah he he would have had a much better chance of scoring going that way um, and it, yeah and it, it took a lot of work to get that opportunity to score yeah
0: it it did Um and in the second half I thought we were actually all over them oh, and fantastic. um uh in terms of, of Moy's West Ham side, um that that bodes well for those teams that can play the kind of deep block against us, I would say. Bodes very well the way in which we did kind of begin to cut through them. And I will note that I think our expected goals in that game was two point five or something like that so it was really about the finishing not being quite yeah up to I it almost which hasn't hasn't really been a feature of deserve ball actually you know, it was a yeah. feature of possible
3: wasn't it i almost mm. wonder if in 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 that game because we were basically the wingless wonders going <laughs> back to the 1950s uh <laughs> um or was it or was that or was that the 60s like so our ramsy was wingless wonders but yeah. um uh, it, it kind of forced us to play through the middle um, against West Ham. And then I think when you brought, when Ladana came on and he's one of the best close control players I think I've ever seen. He, I mean, that guy can turn on a sixpence um, in such a sport, in such a, you know, he created, he created his own chance um, in that in that game. But we were working our way through the middle and you're right, it's like, We've had trouble against the low block all season. Deserby's been trying to figure out how we can beat it. And I think now we're we're getting a few more ideas about how to, to do it. And, you know, in a way that we were unsuccessful before. Now we're thinking, well, we might be able to like break through on occasion. But when we do, we have to be more ruthless.
1: Yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Everyone's talking about, oh, people will find Brighton out. They'll work a way out yeah. to negate their challenges, uh, their, um, their threats. Um, But, yeah, that works the other way as well. We can work out how to negate their workings out on us. But yeah, it's a constantly evolving scenario, isn't it? Yeah. Football tactics. And that's what's one of the fascinating elements about it. Um. I was going to say actually on, on João Pedro, by the way, um, I mean, he's starting to get a lot of vibes in the old transfer rumor mill already, isn't he? No particular connections, but people are saying, Oh, are they going to be able to hold on to him? He scored 15 goals this season already now in 28 games. Um, it was, um, yeah, exactly. I mean, his, his ratio of scoring, that's pretty impressive. And although for years people would, casually quote the, oh, we need a -a 20-goal-a-season striker. And if you're a Premier League team, that's ridiculous. Hardly anyone has that. Actually, we might have one, ironically, this season, because we're just under half the season left. In fact, probably slightly more than, uh, depending on how well we do in the the Cups. Mm. Um, He's already got 15 goals. And there was a Watford fan on the comments um, after the Stoke match that said, as a Watford fan, so pleased Joao Pedro has found... The right premier club. So glad he's doing so well in his developments and such an asset to Brighton. And I think he really is. And if we do sell him, he'll be a financial asset on uh, as he's outbounds. But I think I'd like to think we'll hold on to him a bit longer than the, the end of this season. I hadn't even thought about losing him so soon. I don't think we will, but who knows?
3: I don't. Th- I don't. Th- yeah, I would be surprised if if we get an offer that would tempt us. To be hmm. honest um he's but he but he's been brilliant he's been absolutely outstanding and um i know that some people say well he scored but off his goals are penalties but i'll tell you what they all count take it from a team that never did continually miss penalties uh, over the last few years and lost points due to it they all count those are goals yeah and you try you try scoring 100% of your penalties it's exactly. not easy and yeah. um and but but his enthusiasm, he's and he's had to adapt. It was quite interesting. I think Brian Owen had a chat with him. Um, he's had a chat with him after a couple of couple of games, um, and he was just saying, "Yeah, we've had to adapt because obviously the wide players are out. So obviously, like me and Facundo, can like you know we've played there before, so we we we'll move out. Like the adaptability of him, the way that you know it's all about the team." And he's found himself in these positions. The run for the for the fourth goal against Stoke was just an absolute lung buster. I mean, it was like, it was door to door, wasn't it?
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, very reminiscent of, of Bobby Zamora's last goal for us against, I think it was against Huddersfield at, at, at the Amex, where he ran the entire length of the pitch to get onto to the end of a similar ball. And then oh, I, yeah. don't, I don't think he kicked another ball in anger Ever again, I think I had to bring the oxygen out, and that was his last goal. But obviously, João Pedro, slightly younger and fitter, Mm. is not so much of an issue for him. But, um, but he gets he gets in position, he makes things happen, and like a lot of the the penalties that he scored, it's just been him getting found in the box.
1: Yeah, he Um, he works incredibly hard. He gets for a lot of miles. Tracks players. He, he works. He tracks back, and he he makes bursting runs. We saw it against uh, in, in all the build-up play to that hinge with goal against Spurs. He did a very similar thing in creating the chance against West Ham, which unfortunately he then repeated what Pascal Grosch had done with his head in the first yeah. half and just put it straight towards the goalkeeper. Oh, that was a poor shot, it, in a the, poor yeah. finish, yeah. bitterly on that occasion. But those bursting runs, that energy, and obviously the space that then then creates for other players is where it's, uh, it, where it's at. I guess that's one thing Ferguson still I can't do, let yeah. this finish. Sorry to interrupt to you. Yeah, man. sorry, go on. Yeah, I yeah. can't let this finish
0: without me contributing to the discussion about Joe Pedro, because I absolutely love Joe Pedro. And <laughs> the way... Um, what you were talking about there, Russ, was his work rate is phenomenal. His running is just extraordinary, both on and off the ball. Um and that's kind of feeding into what you were just saying about him winning penalties and so forth, and mm. luck busting, and that run across West Ham's defence yeah. um that he did, which wasn't too dissimilar to the way in which he set up um, like the Hinchelwood for the first goal um against Tottenham. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I absolutely loved Jan Pedro. And you talk about his penalties. I mean, he's an amazing penalty taker. I, I still can't work out how he does it, but he sends right. the the wrong way. I think somebody's done some research on it, his North Stand chat. I think it's something like 85% of the time he sends the keeper the wrong way. And the times where the keeper's gone the right way, he's hit it right in the corner hard and lifted it. Yeah.
1: And that—that's a skill, as you said. They're all goals, and those aren't that easy to finish. Yeah, most of them you might score, but to score all of them, he scored. I think it's thirteen out of thirteen, including the two friendlies for us and yeah. one or two goals here and there. He, he did win, miss one for Brazil. He acknowledged in an interview quite forthcomingly and honestly. Um, but that's the only goal he's—the only penalty he's missed at all. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying to study his method, and what what he's doing suggests that he must be seeing the goalkeeper and then placing it the other way. Yeah. Um, but I can't see him looking. I mean, I, I know... No, he could, he's, he's looking
0: down when he connects with the ball. Yeah, I mean, he the goalkeeper...
1: Yeah. Um, so, whether he's lulling the goalkeepers into thinking he's not looking at them, and they can make a confident choice to go this way or that, I don't know. But it's, it's certainly working marvellously for us. Even better ratio than Alexis McAllister. And I really feared... One of the biggest fears when he was sold was... Ooh, who have we got? Because Pascal's record wasn't perfect. We didn't really have many other people. Danny Welbeck had taken pens, but he'd missed some anyway. I was wondering... Ooh, who tell we you got. what
0: Milner's
3: given penalties.
1: But Milner's, yeah, he, I don't think he's missed. He's not taken a huge number, but he, he always seems to score them, especially in shootouts, doesn't he? Well,
3: the ball uh, the ball stays hit.
1: Yes, as they say. When, when, <laughs> yeah.
3: when he kicks it. Um, yeah. You know. Okay. So, he used to
1: be
0: Liverpool's sporting token before... I mean, he used to score
1: often, all the yep. time. Yeah. And the other thing is, um, set pieces have been an issue in both boxes in the past. One one feature which is slightly improving is Joao Pedro's getting on the end of stuff at the right end. We've alluded to it earlier um, a, a couple of times in, in recent weeks. Um, but moving the conversation on, someone else who I think might be good at set pieces who we haven't signed yet but very excitingly are on the brink of confirming is Barco, the uh, Boca Juniors player, who has been described variously as a left-back or a left-winger or a left-midfielder. Tim Vickery insists he is a specialist left-winger who can play at left-back. I think Andy Kay, you mentioned that he did originally play his games at left-back before he uh, broke in and played left-midfield thereafter. Um, More recently, he's been playing left-back anyway. He's playing for Boca. There was a release clause of £10 And apparently today, as we speak, which is Tuesday, um, and that release clause activates up to 14 million. So it's an interesting period of time. I'm not quite sure what's happened with that, but Tim Didn't Vickery. We've got him, had, him at 10. We've got him at 10. Cause yeah. $10 Vickery, he, he was on um, Sky Sports News today. Uh, interesting thing. He said, everyone in Argentina has reported it's a done deal. This is before we heard that the medical is now going ahead, which is now the case. Um, and yeah, apparently it was a case of if, if you can activate it at 10 million. Uh, or there was the option to have have it at nine million with a sell on of ten percent. I'm not quite sure what the final dealings are, but that that's the sort of ballpark we're talking about, uh, and that is going to be a bargain because, by all accounts, and according to Tim Vickery, he is a cracking player, uh, very very good, very, really talented. Um, he's described as a red headed flea by <laughs> Tim today on. <laughs> that,
0: <laughs> he he did that um, in directly comparing him with Purvis actually and saying how different they were. Yes, because I, I think that's
1: the way way in which the question is posed to him. Yes, so yeah, I suggest he might be a, a replacement or something like that, didn't he? Yeah. But that's not the plan for us anyway. Not at the moment. Yeah,
3: no, I, I, it's funny. I, I spent some time watching some uh, Barco videos recently, and I see him playing further up the field than yeah. than a, than at fullback. I think he'll be a person that will play fullback if like now all the fullbacks are injured but it, he's um just a thrilling player going forward he but he can tackle yeah and if you, if you watch the highlight reels like quite a lot of his tackles happen in the opponent's half some of them will be him tackling from behind um as well as doing the normal defensive tackles in front so tackling is very much a part of his game so even though i expected to play forward that he has defensive chops that the you know he can tackle um so he could perform defensive duties but but he's got a really light touch on the ball um he moves and it, you know and he gives and goes so that he looks like a deserving player he looks like a you know bang 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 player so he, he wants the quick interplay and in passing he's got very good very good touch. Takes people on. He's very aggressive. Um, obviously, the Premier League, I think, is, more, he is much more physical than the Argentinian League. So I think there might be, you know, there's, there's going to be an adjustment period for him. But he looks like a player that can cause utter mayhem in the opponent's half, as well as defend stoutly in hours. Yeah. Um, so I, I could even see him drifting into the into the middle. We don't have a central, we don't have a defensive central midfielder at the moment. We don't have a lot of a break up, someone that can break the play up. I could see Deserby thinking, well, you know, well, we haven't got anyone else at the moment. How about I give you a run out there if, if I'm going to have like, you know, yeah, Burvis and, Burf- Burf- seem- Burf- and mittimer on the left? We'll we'll just chuck you inside a little bit and see and see how we get on with that. Um I don't he looks like he could play all over the pitch, um, which I think is definitely going to appeal.
1: Yeah, to Roberto, Roberto definitely isn't fully um fully immersed in the notion of Beléber as a first choice regular starter yet, is he? I think he's he's alluded to that in a couple of interviews and you can see by his when he's been picked, he's not being picked as a default at the moment. Notwithstanding any anything going on behind the scenes where he's not available. Um but the other thing with um with Barco is um we don't have, I think, a potent left footed set piece specialist. And Tim Vickery alluded to the notion that he can take a wicked free kick with his left foot as well. His
3: crossing I mean, is ridiculous. Yeah. This is, the other, this is the other aspect. He's just his delivery is superb. Um, yeah Good, I suppose. In terms of what you said,
0: Andy, about where he could play, for instance, um, if he doesn't if he doesn't play left back, and I suspect that he may well fill in playing a little bit at left back to give Purvis a rest, for instance, etc. Um, etc. Cetera, et cetera. But if he plays further up the pitch on the left, which is where I've seen him on kind of YouTube playing for Boca, then that's a left-footed. Player playing higher up, whereas normally, um, plays there inverted, um, and Roberto's light inverted wing is thus far, um, not exclusively because Ading was right footed and plays on the right. Um, but he'd rather, I suppose he'd rather go with Misma and and Solly. I think that'd be his optimal kind of, um, but obviously the emergence of new players like, um, Barkay, um, may well kind um, of throw that into Dan. Similarly to what I was saying about Hinchelwood earlier. Um, yeah, but, I mean, it would be interesting to see if he was deployed further in field, like you suggested there, Andy. All, all I'm, I suppose, saying is that I, I didn't get, um, the fact that he was playing there on the YouTube clips for Bocca. but
3: I think he, I think he just yeah. drifted in. I think he just naturally drifted inside on situations, and then just won the ball back. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So he just looks like someone that can win the ball in the in the middle. Um, you know, his best highlights are when he's playing on the left because clearly, like that's, like that's on his proper foot, but but he just seems to have a lot of possibilities and he just seems to have a lot of energy and the you know and the thing is that when you play lots of games you need lots of options yeah not all of, not all not all of these players are starting every game but, but they but they they're probably going to play like half an hour yeah. at, at the very least and you yeah you know, there'll be situations he looks absolutely thrilling as a prospect and i can't believe and I, you know, and I think that, yeah, you know, I think the reason why we got him is because we're more likely to play him now. I mean, he's you know, he's not going out on loan; he's going straight into the team. Um,
1: Absolutely, yeah.
3: Once he's done with the other yeah. twenty, the Argentine under twenty three tournament or whatever they're playing.
1: You're obviously alluding to the fact City were lurking around as well, but. Again, it's one for the future as far as they'd be confer- concerned, isn't it? Whereas he wants to—if he's coming here, he wants to get game time straight away. He doesn't want a token loan somewhere else. He doesn't want to sit around waiting. And that's where we've, in the past, and it seems in this case as well, have had the edge. It's amazing to think we can have an edge of any sort, like going up against City, doesn't it? And uh, it's yeah. only for. He I'll may well
3: end start. up at Man City, but it yeah. works a bit more than eight million. That's fine.
1: That's that's the model, isn't it, for us and them? They they pay a risk premium to sign players when it's already established and when they've they're already first team regulars. We 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 ride through that risk premium. That's our, our modus operandi.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, on this, I would just add. Um, what uh, do The, the rumour about City was that they were actually going to loan them straight away rather than go straight into the squad. Um, but the other thing worth highlighting is I gather, um, uh, and that's just someone putting this information on to us actually in a group chat, um, that Ali Mack has put in the good word for him and I still love Ali Mack. I
1: really do. Yeah, I do too. That's great to hear if that's true. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, In terms of, just to wrap up, I mean, in terms of injuries, we've still, by my calculations and notwithstanding any information we don't know about, um, we have at the moment, um, and so March, Mitema, Dingra, Fatih, Igor, Veltman and Lamptey out. Um, I think it would be nice to sign a, a right-back. Juan Lu's been mentioned, the Sevilla player. And maybe longer term, we're thinking of maybe we move Lanty on and sign him. Maybe that's the plan longer term. Once Feltman's back from injury, uh, slightly eased injury crisis. I think it'll get a lot better for the fact we've got a bit more time to rest players up and get them back. Um, also, if we did sign Barco, of course that minus is one off of the list in terms of you know it's another another body available anyway. Um, we have recalled some players from. Loans. Popium, we mentioned, came off the bench against Stoke, having been on loan in the first half of the season at Cheltenham, I think it was. Um, Salmiento was recalled from West Brom, but put out on loan to Ipswich, which is an upgrade, because Ipswich have had a fantastic season, challenging for auto-promotion and possibly even the title. Um, but in terms of other bodies coming in, just briefly, transfer window, et cetera, apart, assuming Barco can be done, who else would you... Would Wanlu Wanlo be... You
0: to- I, I'm 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 um not one of these fans that wants Tony to spend his money because I kind of notice a gap in the squad or whatever. I mean, hmm. as I indicated, we were wingless at times and that's that just a fact. It's unarguable. arguable. Um we struggled with fullback, but um I suspect it w- we'll be all right, and I'd be quite happy, actually, if we got Barco, and that would be bad in terms of our transfer activity because in terms of um, injuries returning, Tony has said that all of them, apart from March, will be back by mid-February. Fe- uh, I gather that Fatty's recovery is going a little bit quicker than expected. Yeah, so about three. By, by yeah. the time we get back... Um, to the Wolves game, um, we've got 16 days rest. You know, we might have one or two more of those injuries back. And then we've got the Sheffield United game the following weekend, and then Luton, and then Palace. And then we've only got three more games during um, February. And I suppose one of my points that I wanted to make is, if we're going to be looking up the table rather than down the table, I think we really need to capitalize on those games in late Jan, um, and February in terms of the Premier League, because you go into the second half of March, we've got, um, the two games in the Premier League that we played then is City and Liverpool, um, and that will be when we're playing Europa League games or whatever, so, um, but that will prove tough, those two games. So I will try and get points on the table at yeah. the next six
1: Ab- games. Absolutely. I mean, the notion, though, that at that period of time, having Barco, Mitama, Fatty, and CISO all in our armoury available would be...
3: yeah. That is a fine quiver and an even better set of arrows to start firing <laughs> at... Um... <laughs> at, uh, at the opposition I mean I think as regards to the the transfer window to be honest I'm with Andy if if all we get is Barco I'm not going to be unhappy about it we can maybe add someone with a right foot because hmm. we seem to be deficient in that department at the moment but um,
0: I, we, think Barco, right I think I think got do mean be... by that we, I mean, we've got loads of right footed players <laughs>
1: Well, I think it's the cover. Is we've got players that can cover, covers, it and it, and yeah. we can get through it. But the, again, it's about this stretching of resources, isn't it? And, and right. rota- not being able to rotate and rest players when we want because they're able to cover somewhere else. And instead of getting the rest on a certain game when we've got another option, they end up playing right back or something. Uh, yeah, I
0: mean that's, you know. the, the position that I'm, I, I think we are sure on is right attacker. Um, Adinga yeah. the plays there. You know, historically, Sonny has. Um Solid's going to be. Um, I don't know if I said that, but Blim said that Soling's going to be out for for longer, and yeah. you know, most most people seem to think that he's out for the rest. Yeah, so of this season.
3: is where I think, um, um, and the from Copenhagen comes into yeah, play. Yeah. Which I don't know how serious <laughs> the links are between us and him. For me, it seems like an unlikely. Signing, given he's actually quite high profile, yeah, uh, great. You would you would think that somebody else would come in and sweep for him, but if our interest is is true, um, you know, if, if our interest is real in him, that would that would be, you know, that would you know strengthen us even more. I think that would be a genuinely exciting one. Uh, oh, I think we're, definitely. I think we would be a right club for him to develop as well. I just think we, I think we we're good at. Making exciting young players even more exciting.
1: Yeah, and he would fit the bill. And his name isn't really Onion Bargy for any listeners that don't know who we're talking about. Uh, he's a Copenhagen exciting attacking wide right player, isn't he? Bargy is his surname. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but um, I don't believe he's called Onion first name. No, it's
3: like, it's like, is it Ruby or something <laughs> like that? No, yeah, yeah <laughs> I apologise. I apologise for <laughs> not researching how to pronounce his name properly. Yeah, no, but he's, he's already got the nickname.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean my, I don't my, even think
3: Bargey is how you pronounce his second name either, so we're being even crueler to him, but
0: I mean I, I obviously wouldn't turn him down. Um a really a player, but I agree with what Anderson is like his high profile. And I suppose two points going in slightly different directions. Um firstly they're still in the Champions League and I don't know why they've been looking to sell their Yeah,
3: I think I think think it would be extremely unlikely that we would that this would be a Um, um, that we would get over the line. I think think we would have to work very hard to get this one over the line. Um, But the prospect of it is is very enticing.
0: It is, and going the other way is there. Copenhagen aren't likely to get through the next round of the Champions League. Well the natural order tends to impose itself once you get into the two-legged knockout kind of stages of things.
1: Yeah, true. Okay, gentlemen, I think that pretty much wraps it up, doesn't it? Any other burning questions or points you wanted to make before we finish off this epi- episode? I think that, that covers it, doesn't it? It's been a pleasure chatting to you guys as always. It's great that we've got through comfortably in this cut match. Sheffield United away in the next rounds. Uh, a few, well, very close to when we're playing them in the league, which is, one of those typical quirks that happens with the cup draws, isn't it? But we'll look forward to that one coming up. Um, in the meantime, thank you to Andy K, thank you to Andy B. Uh, thank you to Phil Annette from earlier on in part one as well. And until the next time, stand or fall, up the Albion. The Albion. Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network.
2: Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Albert, now in fresh colors.